If you join me for just a moment, and, and I know we don't, I'm not going to take much time tonight, but I'd just like you to turn me for a moment to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, just upon mentioning that, I know many of you know that Hebrews chapter 11 is the, uh, it's what we call the hall of faith. It lists all of those uh, many, many names of people well known in the Bible that uh, did what they did, accomplished what they did by faith. And then nearing the end of this chapter, I'm going to just give you so, just a few kind of bullet points. I don't, uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to develop each, each point, but just give them to you. Um, near the end of this chapter, you begins to just say, and besides all these have already been mentioned, he says, um, uh, uh, he says in verse 32, and what shall, what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to, to, to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and, and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence uh, of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in, in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And then it says for the first time in this, in this passage, and it'll mention one other time, it says, and others. That's always intrigued me. There are people whose story is mentioned in the Bible that we don't, we'll never know who they were, this side of heaven at least. It says, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. I think it's interesting that um, up in, verses, uh, in verse 33, it talks about the victories that some of those people, the, the, the people that were mentioned there. It says, who, faith, who through faith... Subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness and obtained promises. Stopped the mouths of lions. Quenched the violence of fire. Escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Waxed valiant in fight. Turned the flight of the armies of the aliens. It says all these victories. But then it mentions these others. And they didn't all survive. It says others. In verse 35. Others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. It indicates to me, at least I read that, that they had an opportunity to not be tortured. Deny Christ. If you just walk away from that, if you just walk, you don't have to go through torture. But they didn't accept deliverance. Their mindset was such. He tells us exactly why they didn't. He says they may obtain a better resurrection. These are people who saw the future. They knew that their future was going to be with God in heaven. And they saw that that future was more important than the present day. I'm afraid we live in a day today where most of the people I know, and I don't necessarily mean the Christian people, but many of the people I notice in the world, it's all about today. And uh, uh, very, very few people. I think other than Christian people, many, and to be honest with you, all, not all Christian people, look ahead 
to our future and live in light of that. These people's thinking was about the future. What's more important is what my life will be when I stand before my Savior. Then it goes on. It tells us that uh, we see the reasoning of others. And then we see the, the report of others. Beginning verse 36, it says, it says, And others had, trial, cruel, had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. And then God gives a commentary. I believe, uh, you know, I mean, the, the author of Hebrews, of course, the human author, but inspired by the Spirit of God, he pauses and after mentioning these people, he says, of whom the world was not worthy. That's God's evaluation. God says, these people were better than this world deserves. He said, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves. Having, all, having these all, or, and, and these all, having obtained a good report. They got a good report. These people walked with God. These people lived for the Lord. You'll never know their name. I'll never know their name. Unless in heaven God lets us know who they are. But multitudes of people who through the ages have carried on our faith and paid the price for it. If I could put it this way, I don't mean to be, to be um, um, silly with the wording, but I just, they're, they're our veterans. They're the veterans of our faith. They went before us. And as he describes here, some of them paid horrible prices for their stand for Christ. And come on, the honest truth is some of us, we're too afraid to be told no that we won't hand somebody a track. Our level of persecution is so minor compared to what people like this went through. But they obtained a good report. I wonder what our report would look like today. I wonder how your report would look today. So we see the reasoning of the others. We see the report of the others. And then lastly, I want you to see the result or the response to the others. Chapter 11 comes to an end. It says, all these having obtained a good report through faith received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. You notice the first word of, of chapter 12 is wherefore. I think you've probably all heard that little phrase. Whenever you see a, 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 war, a wherefore or a therefore, you need to understand where it's therefore. The word wherefore is a conclusion. You know that the epistles in the Bible were not written in chapter and verse form. But the next statement after... I believe the Apostle Paul. That's just my thinking about who wrote Hebrews. But um, uh, after he finishes going through these, these names of people and then the others, he says, wherefore? Now here's the lesson to us. 
Here's what he wants their stories to mean to us. He says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed, we also are compassed about, with so great a cloud of witnesses, I believe he's talking about those he just mentioned. They're the witnesses. They're, they're, and I'm sure you've heard this before. It's like a relay race, and they've run their leg of the race. Now they're rooting for us. Now they're watching us. Now it's our turn to, to participate. I participated in two sports where I was a part of relays. One was, uh, one was, was track when I was in junior high school. I ran track. I was never fast. Um, and uh, so I tried to go out for the more distance. Right? But we were at a, we were at a, uh, at a, uh, a, a, a track meet, and the coach came to me and said, "Hey, the guy who runs the 440. Now, if you know, if you understand the, the you know, the 440, that's a, that's basically a sprint, and uh, it's a long distance sprint, but it's a sprint. And." Um, and you and 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 he said the guy that ran that uh, you know, couldn't come, and so we don't have any entry in there. Would you just? I said, you know, I can't keep up with those guys that run like that. He goes, that's okay. Just 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 uh, just go ahead. We'll have an entry in there. So you just go ahead. So I, I did what the coach said. I went over. I got in my place. I reported, and they shot that. They they shot that gun. You got to understand. By the time I was rounding the last turn to then come down to the finish line. Everyone else was already finished. <laughs> now, lest you think I'm exaggerating, let me just tell you, I am not. And as I made that turn at the end of the field, and I saw that they were crossing the finish line, and each one of their timers were clicking their time off, I never completed the turn. I ran straight off <laughs> the course. I ran, kept running until I got to the bus. I got to our team bus. I got up on the bus. I went to the back, laid down, and hid for the rest of the meet. I was so embarrassed. As far as I know, my timer on my, on, on my lane is still standing there. <laughs> waiting for, I don't know, as far as I know. That was, um, that was one uh, sport that I, I got involved in a couple of relays and, you know, wasn't much to speak of. And then I, I went out for a swim team. I loved water. Anything had to do with water. Uh, I, was a, I was a scuba diver uh, in high school. I took scuba diving. I went uh, uh, to water skiing. We had a boat. I mean, I, I took water skiing. We had a boat. I did a lot of water skiing. Um, I, 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 I went out to swim team. And uh, so, again, I, 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 I could swim a long ways, but I couldn't swim very fast. So, um, so the, the, the coach asked me, he said, we need somebody in the, uh, the, 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 the 200 medley relay. That's 50 meters for each one of us. And uh, it uh, was a combination of the backstroke, uh, the butterfly, the breaststroke, and then the overhand crawl. They asked me to do it because I was the only one on the team who could properly do the butterfly with the, hand, with the arms going over and the dorsal kick and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't that I was good at it. I just the only one that could do it. In our high school, there's nobody else who could 
function to do the butterfly. <laughs> so I believe, if I remember uh, uh, correctly, the backstroke was first. They, the, back, the backstroke guys, they, they started in the pool because they could push off and go. And then the rest of us all started from the, from the podium. And I think I want to believe that I was the, I, I, I'm not remembering clearly, but I think the butterfly was maybe the third. And we had some great swimmers on our team. And so everybody understood for our relay to work, the first two guys had to build a substantial lead. Okay. And then the fourth guy could catch up. So it was, that, was our, that was our strategy. And so uh, they'd build a lead. I obviously would lose that lead. And then our, we had a great finisher, and he'd, he'd oftentimes get very close to catching up. You know? And um, so, so, so you know, that was my part of, of the relay. And that's what relay, you know, that's what relay racing means to me. But, but I participate. I got the participation ribbon, you know. Folks, these others, these others, so we should learn from them. They're now watching us. You look at the prices they paid. The deaths they, they died. The things that were done to them. He says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. You know the weights are those things that just slow us down. When we used to run for practice, um, we'd wear leg weights, little, little kind of bags of sand with straps on them that we would put on our legs and, uh, to build up strength and to try to build up endurance. And then when you took them off and you ran regularly, you felt light. You just felt like you were floating. But he said, lay aside the weights. There are things in each of our lives that weigh us down. There are some distractions, some sinful things maybe that we just can't give up. He says, the weights and the sins that so easily beset us. That's simply those sins you struggle with that you have a hard time beating. He said, lay aside the, the weight and the sins that so easily beset us. And let's run with patience. The word patience is a word that means endurance. In the Bible, the word patience doesn't mean like, you know, okay, I've been waiting 10 minutes for my wife. <laughs> That's not the patience he's talking about. Patience in the Bible means to endure. Endure some, some, some serious things. And it's not just to endure them. All you have to do to endure something is not die. But many people come through difficulties in their life and they don't die, but they're as bitter as they can be by the time it's over. That's not patience. Biblical patience is enduring difficult things, unfair things, hard things, with a spirit of joy. That's what biblical patience is. So we should run with patience the race that is set before us. Focusing on Jesus Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, throughout history, there have been others. Peoples whose names may never be known to the rest. In every war, there's been others. Oh, I don't mean that their name isn't written down somewhere. They're, 
but most of us will never, you read books on history and you may never read their names. They'll never tell their names. All those who died on, on D-Day on the shore of northern France. We may never know all their names. Those who died in different conflicts throughout the history of our nation, we may never know their names. And those who went on before us and in the Christian world, in our faith, you may never know their names. Which kind of leads us to understand that maybe we're not supposed to be looking for a name. Because the one who's important, the one who gives out the rewards, the one for whom we're supposed to be serving, he knows your name. He knows your name. I had an illustration. I was going to build up around this, but let me just read something to you. I want to tell you a story of a battle that a lot of people don't, uh, aren't really aware of. And when I say aware of, you probably know this battle took place, but you may not understand um, the details of the battle. In the early morning of December 7, 1941, naval and air forces of the Imperial Japanese Navy attacked the U.S. 7th Fleet anchored in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. The very next day on December 8th, other forces from Japan attacked another U.S.-held island, 2,458 miles west of Pearl Harbor, a small atoll in the Pacific Ocean called Wake Island. Wake Island was an advanced defensive U.S. outpost, an aircraft maintenance and refueling facility consisting of 449 U.S. Marines, mostly aircraft mechanics and support personnel. Several dozen Navy personnel, a handful of Army radio operators, and a little more than, a th than 1,100 civilian construction workers who were there to continue the building of this outpost. They had taken contracts and gone with the military out to this island to simply do the constructing. It wasn't finished yet. But on December 8th, the next day after Pearl Harbor, Wake Island was attacked by greater, greater superior naval forces. They had destroyers. They had aircraft carriers. And so they sent airplanes in the initial attack on Wake Island, but then began to bombard it with the, uh, with the, uh, uh, with the, with the naval ships that, that had the, the guns, and they would, they, would, uh, they would bombard it over and over again. Out of the construction workers, 186 of them immediately volunteered to fight alongside of the Marines and, and the Navy personnel. 250 others of the civilians worked in support of the fighters, delivering supplies, ammunition, and food to the defensive positions. So a large number of the civilians determined to simply be civilians and go someplace where they could find some level of safety. For 15 days, this brave group of fighters held off a greatly superior Japanese force. 
And they held him off with a total of six five-inch coastal guns, 12 three-inch aircraft guns, and four F-4F Wildcat fighters. They had 12 on the island when the attack originally began, but eight of them were destroyed in the first wave of attacks. So now they had four. Those men who were aircraft mechanics, they took up guns, and they got in foxholes. Now we know, thank God for our Marine, we know the Marines are taught to fight whatever their, their, their daily job is. And so these were Marines. And uh, they may not have been prepared, they may, I mean, in the sense of mentally that they were going to be in a battle for their life with a gun in their hand, but, you know, they saw that they came there as, uh, as a mechanics, as aircraft mechanics and, and support personnel. But they're out fighting now. On December 11th, 450 Japanese landing force, or 450 Japanese landing force, um, attempted to land an assault they were repulsed with the sinking of two destroyers. Those ships had to get close enough to shore to drop off the, the, the invading force that their ships became vulnerable to these relatively small guns. And they were able to, to, to sink two destroyers that day. Several other ships were damaged, and the 450 Japanese were either defeated or retreated. And these Marines and civilians and construction workers, they gave the United States their very first battle victory of World War II. Eleven days later, the Japanese would land with a force of 2,000 this time. And the fighters on Wake Island would be forced into surrender. Many of them, I think he said as many as 14 or 15 of the Marines, were executed right there on the beach. They just, they just, just uh, killed them. Some died in the, uh, on, the, on the transport ship on the way back to Japan. The civilians, I think, were treated a little bit better, but not much better. They were taken and put in, in uh, prison camps where they spent the next four years. And many of them survived the war to come home and tell about it. So why am I telling you this story? Having held out for 15 days, serving the Japanese Navy its first defeat of World War II, these U.S. fighters were heralded as heroes back home, provided the people of the U.S. with some needed inspiration following the tragic losses at, at Pearl Harbor. Receiving daily radio news, updates about the battle, which they could not respond to because of the condition of, of the Navy in Pearl Harbor. So they had no ships to respond to help them. No aircraft carriers to get planes close enough to help them. So for these 15 days, they're getting reports back home about what's happening on Wake Island with no ability to send any support or any re uh, reinforcements. 
The battle, the battle of Wake Island was called the Alamo of the Pacific and inspired a generation of people as, they, as, as the original Alamo inspired those who fought for the Republic of Texas. And many recruits entered the, uh, the armed services of the U.S. remembering the attack on Pearl Harbor and the Battle of Wake Island. A group of Marines had landed on Wake Island just a few weeks. I mean, literally a few weeks. They were sent there to help finish the construction, help you know, get the planes and make sure the planes were working in order. They, most of them were, air, were, were aircraft mechanics. Like that. But they, they landed on Wake Island in about three weeks before World War II happened. These men set out to this little atoll in the middle of the Pacific having no idea was what was awaiting them. In just a few weeks. Why do I tell you this story? One of those young marine aircraft mechanics. Who became a coastal machine gun gunner. When the fighting started. Was a young corporal. By the name of Hugh Boyle. My dad's oldest brother. My uncle, whom I would, of course, never meet. He was one of the last ones to die as the surrender order came down. I, of course, would never meet him. But every Memorial Day, I think of his sacrifice. And, of course, I hope to live up to his example in my service, in my commitment to my nation, and spiritually. Hope that I could be one of those others. You know why I thought about this story? Your theme this year has been striving together. One person went to Wake Island, going to fix airplanes. Another one went to Wake Island, going to build some buildings. Another one went to Wake Island, just to be administrative and support. And none of them had any idea that three weeks after they arrived, they would be pressed into having to strive together. And whatever their background, whatever their motive, whatever their ability, whatever their talent. These fighters strove together. And created some very, very needed inspiration for our country at a really, really down time. I don't know how you see yourself. I don't have a clue. Whether you're somebody who just wants to just be involved in everything, get in, just work hard as you can, or you're somebody who likes to sit on the sidelines and maybe not do a whole lot. <clears throat> but that theme of striving together, the idea and the scripture it comes from, is the idea that all of us would do our part. You've got mechanics 
in foxholes with a construction worker right next to him fighting off the landing forces of Japan. They strove together. And they worked to accomplish something that would be heralded many, many years later. Because of that connection, I've read books on Wake Island. I've, I've, I've made it. Just, it's one of, my, one of my kind of pet hobbies to read, to read. I've got another book now that I haven't read yet on Wake Island. I'm going to read it just as I can. But Do you know in none of those books is my uncle's name mentioned as a part of the, of the, uh, you, you know, of the story? One of those books lists all the all those who served there, and his name is in that list, at you know kind of a glossary at the end of the book, but not one of those books I've read so far lists him and tells what he did and how he uh, held his ground and what he you know doesn't say it. He's another with so many others. You know what? All I want to be for Christ is another. I don't care if anybody ever knows my name. But I want a good report from my commander. I want to live and serve in such a way that he'll be proud. I don't know if I'll qualify for a well done or not. But I couldn't imagine anything greater than that. Folks, you're some of the others as well. How are you serving? What would your report be? How are you striving together? Father, thank you so very much. I pray you would drive this truth, drive this idea, drive this 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 thought home, the hearts of people. Father, I'm well aware of the fact that all I can do is speak to ears. If hearts are going to be moved, if lives are going to be impacted, your Holy Spirit has to do it. So please, I pray thy Holy Spirit would be very active tonight, moving on the hearts of people, To, com- to commit themselves to their place in the striving together of this church for the glory of God. Bless this invitation time, please. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.